Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning. Stand with me this morning. I would rather be here than the best hospital in town. Anybody believe that? Goodness gracious. You don't know how good you look to me. Uh, I've been looking at myself all week for about three weeks, and uh, it didn't look good, let me tell you. Uh, Carrie and I both have survived the coronavirus, and uh, Jason and his family survived, and some of you have, and uh, it affects everyone differently. About the time I thought I could do something, I'd go do it, and I said, I've got to go sit down and breathe for a while. Anybody ever felt like that? And some things you wanted to do, you just couldn't do. Jason was telling me he was supposed to sing for Charlie Daniels' service and just uh, recovering from the virus, just couldn't do it. And I could really relate to that. How many of you believe with me that God is going to do something amazing through all this? And I'm going to concur what Jason said. And Jason, thank you so much for being here with us this weekend. Uh, Let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful that you love us, you care for us, and Lord, today we ask you to just allow your word to do something within us, and may your Holy Spirit encourage us and lead us and guide us. And Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' holy name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated, turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here today. Well, there's no way we can live for Christ and uh, not experience a pushback. There's no way that you can... uh, reduce the resistance of our enemy, and also just life itself. I want to backtrack just a little bit to kind of get you up to speed. How many of you know even Christians have difficulties? And you have issues that uh, sometimes uh, come your way. Several, several weeks ago, Carrie's mother um, had a stroke. She was called to come to her mother's house. When she got there, her mother could not even speak. So she took her to the emergency room. From the emergency room, they took her by helicopter to Oklahoma City. And for about a month or so, she was there. Care was there for uh, several, several weeks. And um, her neck, uh, arteries, her carotid arteries, uh, 70% blockage on one side, 90% blockage on the other side. They went in to clean out one side. She had to be put on a ventilator. Uh, long recovery, didn't even know if she was going to survive, then she had to go to uh, uh, recovery and rehab, and then at that time, our uh, nephew Drew contracted a very serious condition, it's called a typical HUS, it's treatable but not curable, only two people in one million ever get it, Drew just thought he was one in a million, now he's two in a million, but uh, very severe, and we didn't know if he was even going to survive that. They took him to Tulsa for some type of treatment. While he is in the hospital in Tulsa, Carrie and I both tested positive for the coronavirus. And so we went through all of that. And while we were there at home uh, with the coronavirus, our daughter-in-law, Stephanie, uh, was diagnosed with the coronavirus, and she's pregnant with our third grandchild. So let me just say this, bam, 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 bam. And so if you think that it couldn't get worse, it can. But the good news is, God is greater than any difficulty that we will ever face. So when you look at some of the things that you go through, and I go through, and everybody goes through, it's just called life. And sometimes you feel like you have this big target 
put on you or your family or your job or your finances or your kids or grandkids. And, and so you, you wade through that. But the Bible's very clear that you have an adversary. And we've been preaching for over a month that there are three things that come against us, the world, the flesh, and the devil. So the adversary is something that's used in many places in the Bible, your adversary or your adversary's plurality, about 40 times in the Bible. So if you look at this, Peter actually begins to talk about it, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 and 9. Be sober, self-controlled, be vigilant or watchful, because your adversary, say that with me, your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brethren or the brotherhood in the world. So if I ask you if you needed to take a trip, or you need to take a journey, and you're required to take that trip or that journey, and you can't avoid the trip or the journey, and it's going to be filled with difficulties and obstacles and dangerous places and dangerous people, then you would say, well, I don't know if I want to take that trip. Uh, You've got to take that trip. It's full of pitfalls, high places, low places. It's uh, dangerous to your loved ones, to your family, to your finances. Uh, sometimes to your health. There's going to be times you feel like giving up, throwing in the towel, times that you're overwhelmed, disappointed, discouraged. And let me tell you what the journey is. It's just called life. It's the journey of life, and no one is exempt. And you may say today, everything's going great. I'm happy for you. There's always the rest of 2020, as Jason said. We're not through this yet. So this journey called life, Peter says, don't think it's strange if you go through some fiery trials. So the, the last month or so that we've been going through with uh, family and, and with our own health and with our, our grandchildren and with our kids, you know, you say, boy, this has been a whole series of fiery trials. And then Peter comes along and says, don't think this is strange because this is what life does and this is what the adversary does. And he identifies the adversary as the devil. This one who fell in heaven. How many of you know that even the angels in heaven had a choice to make right choices or wrong choices? And he fell. He took a third part of the angelic host with him, created by God, rebelled against God, and all of God's creation has a choice to either serve God or not serve God. Can I hear an amen? And you have that same choice today. 2 Peter chapter 2, Peter again in verse 4 says, God did not spare the angels who sin, but cast them down to hell, delivered them to chains of darkness to reserve for judgment. Now, how many of you know all of them are not chained in darkness? Some of them have been loosed on the earth. And you're battling that, and I'm battling that, and they're battling you. So that's why he says we have adversaries, plurality, that we're dealing with. Now, if I take this word adversary and I dissect it from Scripture, there's an additional meaning to it. It means to bind up, to make narrow, to cause distress, to vex, to harass. And another telltale definition means you have an opponent. You have someone who's opposing you or someone who's against you. Now, Paul picks this up, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 9. He's ending the letter to the Corinthian church. And he begins to say, a great and effective door has been opened to me, and there are many adversaries. Say that with me. Many 
adversaries. So when God opens a door for you, don't expect that you won't get a pushback from the doors that God opens for you. Even though the door's open, how many of you know the enemy doesn't want you to walk through the door? He doesn't want you to be successful. He does not want you to have that liberality and that freedom of worship and praise and to doing the will of God. He is pushing back. Now, during my two weeks of isolation, and we put another eight days uh, on the end of that just so we would be sure that no one think that we were full of leprosy and say unclean when we got around. So, if you have a pencil and paper, I want to give you very quickly five observations that I felt during this time of extreme difficulty in our life. How many of you know God speaks to you even in the midst of difficulties? Sometimes the voice is even louder in the midst of difficulties because now He's got you at a place where you can listen very clearly. Uh, one of the things I was sharing with Matt, I thought, well, if I'm going to be down for a couple of weeks, I'm going to down a couple of books on my iPad and I'm going to read. About the first paragraph, I thought, I can't even concentrate on what I'm reading here. And so that went out the window. But I believe that God still speaks to us in ways that we can understand. Here's the first one. The first thing that I really understood in this time is how vulnerable that we actually can be. How vulnerable that we can actually be. I know when you're healthy and you're strong and everything's going the right way, you know, we're, we're on our pedestal, we have both fists in the air. But let me tell you, when you get knocked down where you cannot even do anything, barely breathe, you realize how vulnerable that you can actually be. And when you're that vulnerable, you have to throw yourself on the mercy and the sovereignty of Almighty God. You realize that He's in charge, you're not in charge, and that you and I have to really fall on the mercy and the grace of God. Now, whether we feel like that or we don't feel like that, let me just tell you the truth. Every day, you're at the mercy of God. And you're at the grace of God. And that's not a bad thing. How many of you know that's a very good thing? Now, now, Paul talks about this, uh, this 2 Corinthians 12, and many of you know that he went through a time, we don't know exactly what was going on in his life, there's a lot of conjecture, it's a, it's a demonic problem, it's a health problem, it's an eye problem, how many of you have heard all those things? But this is what he's saying after he went to the Lord, and said, Lord, take this away, take this away, take this away. And now the Lord speaks to him, and he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, if you go to the heart of this scripture, I want you to see two words that really stand out that Paul is saying. Number one is my weakness. Number two is my infirmity. He owns the words here. He said, this is my weakness. This is my infirmity. But the good news is Christ speaks here, and he speaks some words. Notice the words that he says. He says, grace sufficient and strength say that with me grace sufficient and strength when i am at my lowest his grace his sufficiency and his strength is mine isn't that good news when i feel like i don't have any he imparts his to me and he imparts the strength and the sufficiency and the grace that i need to get through those times when i feel like i just don't have it but yet he gives it i want you to know that is very good news so there are times in our life we feel absolutely vulnerable in our situation, our condition, our sickness, or whatever it is, and you just feel like you just can't do hardly anything. 
But how many of you know God's still working? Even when you don't feel like you can, He still works. I was sharing with Matt one day, we were on the phone, and both of us are quarantined, and, and I said, Matt, I am so weak, I can hardly breathe. If someone broke into our house, if I couldn't shoot him with a gun, I would just say, load up everything and take it because there's nothing I can do. Uh, you know, it's like an old Henny Youngman joke, take my wife, please. But anyway, it's just, uh, you just feel like you could not do anything. But yet, we're at the mercy of God because we feel how vulnerable we are. Here's the second thing. The second thing I realized is our dependence on the Lord. How dependent we are on the Lord. You know, you think you can maybe accomplish this, do this, get through this. So you're very vulnerable, number one. Number two, you realize our dependency ultimately is on God. In the Gospel of John, uh, Jesus is speaking, he's teaching his disciples. And in chapter 15, verse 5, he, he tells us this story, and he uses in some way a parable to illustrate the point. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches, my father's the husbandman. And he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches, he who abides in me, and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. For without me, you can do nothing. Now, we, we stop here and say, no, wait a minute. There's a lot of things I can do. I can do this, and I can do that, and we can do this, I can accomplish that. So what does that mean? You will never do anything eternally significant without the Lord. Won't happen. You say, well, I've done this, that. Okay, I understand that. But once you die, it's over, and you're not going to take any of that across the chasm of eternity. Only the things we've done in Christ will bridge the gap to eternity. Only the things He helps us do will bridge the gap of eternity. He said, point blank, without me you can do what? Nothing. So we're very dependent on the Lord for any eternal things that's going to outlast our life. So we need Him to have that impact in our life. Here's the third thing. The importance of community. Everybody say community. Now let me tell you how important community is. Carrie and I felt the community of the believers during this time. You literally can feel people praying for you. I have no doubt that many of you prayed for us over and over and over again. We had phone calls. We had texts. We, we had the elders and, and the deacons, you know, step up and take some of the leadership which we are so appreciative of. Uh, we had food brought to our house every night. That was the highlight of my day. I'm just telling you. The highlight was what's going to be brought today. And then, you know, you would eat and you think, I'm going to eat all of this. And about halfway through it, you said, you know, that's all I can eat. But, but here's the thing. There's this powerful impact of community that the church has, and it didn't just start last week. How many of you know it started thousands of years ago? And, and so the, the most prolific, the most powerful place you can see that is in Acts chapter 2. 
the, the Lord tells the disciples to go back to the upper room where we had the Last Supper, wait for the promise of the Father, which is the promise of the Holy Spirit. And we know in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit moves upon them and indwells them, not just on them, but indwells them. They speak with languages that they did not know how to speak. And, and then it's spilled to the streets. And then 3,000 are saved on the day of Pentecost. Now, if you follow that story, you see the impact of community through the chapter. Let's follow it here. Verse 42, uh, 3,000 are added to the church. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship. They're devoted. They broke bread together in communion and compassion. They prayed together. They believed together. And they met the needs of the people who had needs. And so there is a sense of community. Now, what came out of that community? Well, look with me at verse 43. Signs and wonders were happening. People were unified. They were happy. They were glad. Verse 46. Verse 47. People were praising God. They were meeting together in worship. People were being saved and added to the church daily. And we see the power of God working in community. And it's so succinct here and vivid here. We're better together. And listen, when you're isolated, it's not a good thing. Can I hear an amen? Which brings us to number four. When you are in that state, in that adversarial position with the enemy and the world and your sickness or your challenge or your mountain, there is a battle of the mind. A powerful battle of the mind. You see, COVID-19 was the longest I have ever been sick in my life. I am a pretty healthy guy. Let me tell you a story. My doctor was in the first service this morning. Uh, he checked on me through this illness. And uh, Dr. Jeff is a friend of mine. And uh, so um, I had never been to him for years. But yet when I filled out insurance pa uh, papers or I filled out documents, it always asked me who my doctor was. So I wrote down Dr. Jeff. And I'd never been to see him. And one day I had to confess. I said, Dr. Jeff, let me tell you something. I, I said, sometimes I fill out the insurance papers and different documents, and they ask me who my doctor is, and I put you down, and I've never been to see you. And he just smiled. You know how he is, he just smiled. And he said, well, maybe, Mike, you might want to come by and fill out the papers and become my patient. And I never did. And one day at church, he comes to my office and he has a stack of papers and he said, uh, fill these out because these are the papers to become my patient. Be because I I've just always been really healthy and just never, hardly ever went to the doctor, hardly ever, ever. But, but I want you to know, when you get into a situation and, and you get into a, uh, an adversarial position, whether it's your health or the enemy or a challenge, this can play on your mind in a huge way. You, you see, I haven't been sick that long. I, I mean, some people had little or no symptoms. Some people have died. I had a friend died uh, uh, Saturday morning from COVID. And uh, another minister, it just breaks my heart. It's so sad. But when you're in the middle of that and you're isolated 
and you don't feel well, I'm going to guarantee the enemy will attack your mind. Certain researchers are saying today that from the beginning of COVID, the need for mental health has risen 65%. The Washington Post indicated that we're having a historic wave of mental health issues right now. Depression, fear, substance abuse, stress, suicide. And we're not talking about domestic abuse outside, you know, not only in the family, but outside the family, uh, children and, and spousal abuse. I mean, th this thing is rampant now. And so there are people dealing with that because it plays on your mind. There's fear. There's the unknown. And the question, will I ever get over this? Will I ever recover? Will I survive it? And so now people are battling this mind issue. And that's why the Bible addresses the mind over and over and over again. It's one of the biggest battles you will ever face. That's why the Bible says you have to gird up your mind. You have to put on the helmet of salvation. You've got to cover yourself. And I believe one of the ways that we cover ourselves is the realization of who we are in the Lord. Because Paul did this, and I think we have to do this, we have to realize that whether I live or I die, I'm the Lord's. And if I live, I gain, and if I die, I gain, and that's very biblical. And I'd rather just go when it's my time, not before my time, but I'm going to tell you, your mind will play tricks on you, and the enemy will use that against you. He will shoot those fiery darts through your mind, and you start thinking things you shouldn't think, and dwelling on things you shouldn't dwell on. And that's why Paul told the Philippians, think on these things. Because you can think on the wrong things, or you can think on the right things. So there's that battle of our mind. And here's the last thing. The necessity of faith and hope. The necessity of you having hope and faith. You see, these are so tied together. The trouble, the crisis, the, the attack of the enemy can having us looking for stability. Anything that's shaky, anything that's shaken, when you and I are shaken, we begin to look for something that's stable. Can I hear an amen to that? We begin to look for something that's stable. When your world is rocking and your world is shaking, you begin to look for stability. And biblically, it's thematic. Jacob one night, he laid his head down on a rock for a pillow. Moses brought water out of the rock. When Moses wanted to see the Lord, the Lord said, Moses, there's no way you can see me and live, but I will hide you in the cleft of the rock. David, I'll bring the giant down with a rock. Upon this rock, I'll build my church. The revelation of who I am and what I'm going to do. How many of you know the church is built upon the revelation of Jesus Christ? Who He is and what He's done. So we are built upon the rock of Jesus Christ. That's why the psalmist said, 18.2, David said, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. How many of you are glad you got a rock to have your life on? And the world doesn't have that. But you have that. And I have that. See, my hope is built on something much higher than me. My hope is built on the rock higher than I, right? That's why we have to have that stability. 
It's interesting to me when Jesus closes out the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7 of Matthew. Probably, most likely, and almost with certainty, the greatest group of words in the message that's ever been spoken on planet Earth by Jesus. How many of you believe that? So when He finishes that, when He gets to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, He says, if you will listen to My words, if you will listen to what I've said, you will be like a man that has built his house on the rock. But if you're foolish, you will build your life, your house on the sand. And then he said this. Here's the inevitable. Not might happen, but will happen. The storm is coming. He didn't say the storm might come. He said the storm will come. And then he said this. And the rain is going to descend, and the flood's going to come, and the wind's going to blow. And it's only if your house is built on the rock that you will survive. Anything else, you will not survive. Now, there's a lot of people that would argue that with us today. They would say, well, listen, I'm doing fine. My finances are fine. My life is fine. My kids are fine. My job's fine. My health is fine. But let me, when you take that last breath, it will not be fine. Because everything else outside the rock is what? Sinking sand. Now, when I take this and, and I begin to look at this, of the certainty of what Jesus said, that you'll go through a storm, you'll go through an issue, you'll go through a time, you'll go through a challenge, everybody does, it's called life. But here's the difference between you as a believer and someone out in the world. They're on sinking sand. Your life is on the rock. My life is on the rock. And so therefore, when we go through that, then we know where our stability is. Now if, if your life is built around your job, your money, your kids, recreation, sports, any world security, um, you might want to reassess you know, what you're building on here. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things. Nothing wrong with job and money, security, kids, recreation, the sports. Nothing wrong with that. But listen, that can't be your priority. That can't be your stability. Because all those will change. But if your house is built on the rock, then you're going to get through this. You're going to get past this. You're going to go through that difficulty because you have the stability of the rock in your life. And here's the sad thing. I believe, Jason said it earlier, I believe the church is essential. But let me tell you why. Because this is the place where the Word of God is proclaimed. This is where the Word of God is preached and taught on Sunday night and, and Sunday morning and Wednesday and in classrooms and in Bible studies. Why would we do that? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You see, you have a need and I have a need to hear the Word over and over and over and over again. Why? It produces faith and it feeds your inner man. It gives you the strength to think right, do right, walk right, and get through the challenges that you face. So that's why it's essential. Now the world doesn't think that. The enemy sure doesn't want it, right? 
Because the enemy does not want, your adversary does not want. Listen, we've been doing this series on the invisible war, and listen, there are things that you cannot see that are coming against you every day of your life. Our young people, our teenagers, moms and dads and families. So what are we doing? We're taking the Word of God, not my thought, not my denomination, not what I think. The Word of God and saying this is how I move forward. I'm about to get excited. Hold on here. I was hoping I had enough breath just to do two services today. But listen, when you're in the middle of the storm, you're hoping there's something stable there. When Carrie and I moved back here, many of you have heard me say this to this area. I was finishing up college. We had no money. We had uh, old cars. Can anybody relate to this? We lived in an old trailer house. It was so old. Remember the old trailer houses that had cranked out windows? No, no central air, no central heat. One day, Carrie bought a candle for our little old bitty red trailer house. Set it on the top of the television. It was hot in the summer. We came home that evening, the candle had melted all the way down the front of the television. True story. We're just trying to survive. When they set that old trailer, they, they didn't do traditional tie-downs. They, they took a chain and wrapped around the, the, the metal going through the trailer house, and they dug a hole and threw the chain in the hole and poured concrete around it. I remember one night we was in that old trailer and a storm came through. And Jack, this is absolutely the truth. You could hear it hitting the chain. Boom. Boom. Carrie said, do you think we need to leave? I said, honey, I think it's too late now. I'm just thinking in my mind, I'm just glad that the chain held and we weren't rolling over in this old trailer house. And we're paying $40 a month for... Wondering how we're going to make the $40. Because when the storm hits, you're looking for something that is stable. Religion's not stable. A form of godliness is not stable. If you're going through the motions of church, you're not stable. But if you have a real relationship with Jesus Christ, who is the rock, that's stability. That's stable. Jason singing these old hymns, he didn't know what I was bringing today. This is one written in 1834. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Here's, here's the chorus. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. You know, that was true in 1834. And it's still true in 2020. And if the Lord tarries in 2034, it'll still be true. That you and I have built our life on Jesus Christ. Not some kind of religion, not some kind of denomination, not what I think, not what you think, but what the Word of God says. You are the Christ, you are the Son of the living God. And upon this rock, 
I will build my church. I, I'm glad I'm part of the church, aren't you? Amen. This is what I found out in about three weeks. You miss three weeks, it feels like you hadn't been here in three years. When you're used to being here over and over and over again. Because you want to be here. And you want to be around the community of believers. You want to be here to hear the Word of God. You want to hear the praise of God and the worship of God. You want to stand among brothers and sisters and lift up your voice and proclaim the holiness of God. Amen. Let me tell you, it's important. And sometimes we don't know what we've got until it's gone. And so today, let's appreciate the strength that we have through Jesus Christ. Let me leave you with one last line. You as a believer are never fighting from defeat. You're always fighting from victory. You are always fighting from victory. He's already overcome this world. Greater is He that's in you than he that is in this world. Jesus called Satan the God, little g, of this world. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. And He's put you in the armor of God, facing the difficulties of this world. We're always fighting from the position of victory. Whenever a ship is facing the storm, through a hurricane, or some kind of violent weather, the captain of the ship always points the ship to the face of the storm. Because any other deviation will capsize and overtake the ship. The ship is always pointed to the storm. When planes take off, they always take off into the wind because the wind gives them lift to get up over the pull of the gravity of this earth. And much like that, God always points you to the middle of the storm so you can get through it. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Listen, if you're walking through that valley, don't stop. Just keep on walking, baby. Keep on going. Keep on going. And you and I always fight and we move from the position of victory. Because it is true, greater is He that's in us than he that's in the world. Would you bow your head with me today? We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you are encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory, and hope changes everything.